we're going to open up the scriptures, and we are going to continue in this series that we started a few weeks ago on Holy Spirit, on Holy Spirit. We decided to do a topical series on Holy Spirit, the person of Holy Spirit, because we've dedicated this year to what? Learning to pray. Learning to pray. And to pray is to engage with the realm of Holy Spirit, not Merely, that's not the only way in which Holy Spirit is at work in the world. He's, he's all over the world. He's indwelling us. Even our physical lives are ways that we get to commune with Holy Spirit. But when we focus in on prayer, we are tuning ourselves to Holy Spirit. We are speaking to Him. We are listening to Him. We're asking to be filled by Him. And if you're at all like me, early on in my following Jesus and being a Christian, Holy Spirit was talked about and treated as like an auxiliary element for really, really deep Christians who want to like understand profound things that aren't really essential. You just need to kind of study the scriptures, be a part of a church, and fill your mind with things, and then you are a mature Christian. <clears throat> Yet in the Gospels and in the scriptures, Holy Spirit is the primary gift of the Gospel. So we have a problem, right? If we treat that primary gift, learning to live with and be filled by the very presence of God himself, and we treat that as auxiliary, we have a problem. And so what we're trying to do in this series is begin to open our minds a bit more, open our eyes a bit more to what the scriptures have to say about what life in God's spirit is like, how we can learn to cultivate spirit-filledness and learn to walk by Holy Spirit. The way that we decided to do this was to, to look at um, the, the metaphors that Scripture uses for Holy Spirit, which is interesting because the way that Scripture primarily talks about God's Spirit is through metaphors. They're metaphors like breath. A few weeks ago, we went over that one. Today, we're going to be going over water, wind, fire, these are all inherently experiential metaphors, right? And if you're at all like me, wired in your mind, you're going to be suspicious of experiences, especially the way that experiences can be these really audacious kind of adrenaline-fueled spiritual type things that seem to be not grounded, seem to be more fanatical than faithful, yet we cannot dismiss the way that the scriptures speak of Holy Spirit, right? And in fact, I want to attest to you that much of why our following Jesus can feel hollow is because we oftentimes dismiss the real experiential work that God himself wants to do in our lives. Okay? Case in point. Open up in your Sunday liturgy. Uh, you're going to have the scriptures in here. But... Um, we don't often like align and curate every single element. There are multiple people that are, that are feeding into the way that we structure our gatherings on Sundays. But um, this liturgical prayer, all about submitting ourselves to God because He is what we most deeply need. I surrender all to you. Give me only your love and your grace. With these, I will be rich enough and will have no more to desire. 
When we were praying that out loud, I don't doubt that many of us were feeling like, I got a whole lot of things that I'm desiring right now, God. Where you been? This is real. And the gap between the truth we know and have come to believe in Jesus and the scriptures and the presence and power of Holy Spirit is the gap that we need to close to see these things become our lived realities. Now know from the outset, it will not be perfect on this side of eternity with God. But because of what Jesus Christ has done, because he is alive now, walking among us as his people, and because Holy Spirit has been poured out, these kinds of experiences are assured to us as we open our hearts to God, even though imperfectly. So, would you open with me uh, to John chapter 4, verses 13 and 14. You can open it up in your weekly liturgy, um, or you can open it up in your, in your Bibles there. We're going to be reading out of the CSB. Would you stand with me as we read God's Word? This is Jesus speaking to the Samaritan woman at the well in John 4, and it says this. Jesus said, Everyone who drinks from this water will get thirsty again. But whoever drinks from the water that I will give him will never get thirsty again. In fact, the water I will give him will become a well of water springing up in him for eternal life. Jesus, we invite you right now to make these words come alive to our minds, for our understanding, to our hearts, for our belief in our life, and among us as your people. So, Holy Spirit, we open ourselves to you. Would you incline our hearts to your word, and not to any preconceived life that we have determined for ourselves, but submitted to you. Would you unite our heart to fear your name, that we would take you at your word and submit all of us to you, and would you satisfy us this morning with your steadfast love? In Christ's name, amen. All right, you can take your seats. <clears throat> so, Jesus, in these two verses, we've pulled from a long conversation that he has with this uh, Samaritan woman. Samaria was the northern part of the nation of Israel. The long story short is they had been taken in exile um, because of unfaithfulness to God. God had sent prophets, and so that thick part of your Old Testament Bibles that can feel very confusing to you, the minor and major prophets, many of them were God going to the, the northern part of Israel and saying, turn back, your hearts have left God and your lives aren't lining up with His uh, his will to you. Turn back to him. It will not go well for you if you don't turn back to him. And so they were exiled, and upon their return back, um, the nation of Samaria was founded. And a king, um, after King Solomon, the kingdom was divided. Um, and that uh, northern kingdom was called the kingdom of Israel. The southern kingdom was the kingdom of Judah. And the northern kingdom came to be called Samaria. And so Jesus was passing through there. The, the text earlier in John 4 actually said that Jesus needed to go through Samaria. 
And the context says he needed to go through Samaria because he had to have this conversation with this woman at this well. And this woman, we find out from the context, would go to this well to draw water. You can imagine not turning on a faucet, but needing to go get a bucket and fill it with water at a well in order to have what you need water-wise. We have a whole baptismal over here filled with water, and all we had to do is turn on a spigot and it flooded with water, right? But she was doing it at noon, the hottest part of the day. No one in their right mind would go to this well at the hottest part of the day, and Jesus prophetically knows about her from Holy Spirit leading him that she is there because of her deep and great shame. She's been ostracized from the community because she not only has been divorced most likely from a husband, but that she, Jesus says, has had five husbands. And so she's been, um, she's been alienated from her community. She's been marked with shame, and she's even currently living a life that she feels so ashamed about, she will undergo the worst part of the day just to avoid those interactions. And Jesus pulls one of his Jesus moves and says, would you give me a cup of water? And she says, "Uh, you aren't supposed to quite do that. And he says, if you would have asked me for a cup of water, I would have given you water that uh, would actually satisfy you. And Jesus gets to verses 13 and 14 and teaches her about the water that she most deeply needs. And he says, everyone who drinks this water, the well water, will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks from the water that I will give them will never get thirsty again. In fact, the water that I will give them will become a well of water springing up in them from, for eternal life. Really simply, Jesus is here conveying the promise of God to give Holy Spirit as the fountain of water for eternal life to anyone who will turn and follow Jesus. Now, how do I know that? Well, in John 7, verses 37 through 39, Jesus also speaks to the thirsty and also promises them to be satisfied. He says this, On the last and most important day of the festival, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. The one who believes in me, as the scripture has said, will have streams of living water flow from deep within him. Sounds familiar. He said this, this is John the Gospel writer, about the Spirit. Those who believed in Jesus were going to receive the Spirit. For the Spirit had not yet been given because Jesus had not been glorified yet. Holy Spirit is spoken of in the Scriptures as water that can satisfy and water that can cleanse. So I wonder where we feel thirsty this morning. It's not talking about the simple physical thirst. We know that. Jesus says, if you drink of this water, you'll never be thirsty again. You'll never need this water again. He's not saying you'll never need to drink physical water again. He's using it to describe what physical thirst reflects, okay? 
all of us, by virtue of being created by God, were hardwired with longing and desire. Typically, if you think about the things that we do that we don't even really understand why we do them and we really wish that we'd stop doing them and we can't quite stop doing them, if you peel back enough of those layers, you peel back the behavior, you peel back through the emotion, you get to a desire, you get to a longing. That's because all of us in this broken and fractured world are unsatisfied. I was born in Germany, and German is really interesting because they have so many words that you can't quite translate into English. There's like not a direct translation. And one of these words is Unheimlichkeit. Everybody say Unheimlichkeit. Unheimlichkeit. It's a guttural. It literally means unhomelike. Unhomelike. We all experience this weird, crazy German word that means we don't feel at home. We feel like the arrangement around us, no matter how much we curate it, just doesn't get down to the bottom of our need. And I just want to like, point outside and say, of all the places that we could arrange a satisfying life, the sunshine, the, the overflowing amount of wealth that is in these areas, the goods and services that are all around us. And I get that all of our experiences are going to be very, very different. But the simple point is, if here is a place where we still feel, and oftentimes feel even more so, like this is not home. No matter where you go, no matter where you get to in life, the ache will be there. That in you and me is a gift from God. And it never feels like a gift. I won't say never. It often does not feel like a gift from God. This week, I felt really, really lonely. Okay? It started with being gone, uprooted, out in England for 10 days. Love. It was so fun being with the people. But I started missing other people that were back here. And then I got back and I was sick. And then my wife got the sickness from me. And then I was exhausted and at home recovering. And I started realizing, like, man, I feel this aching in me. What the heck is that? Like, why do I want to get up at 10.30 at night from bed and eat a bowl of cereal? I'm not hungry. Like, you ever think about that? Like, food. For me, food is a huge thing. I don't look like it. And God's just giving me a metabolism that hides my gluttony. But I open up that fridge and I'm like, hmm, let's see. What sounds like it would satiate this appetite? And it's not a stomach appetite. Okay? Unheimlichkeit. Unhomeness. We are not at home. One Polish philosopher named Eva Hoffman described it this way. 
since Adam and Eve left the Garden of Eden, is there anyone who does not in some way feel like an exile? We all feel ejected from our first homes and landscapes, from our first romance, from all or from our authentic self. An ideal sense of belonging, of attuning with others and ourselves completely eludes us. And here's what the world is shouting at us right now. You just need to discover who you really are. You just need to look within and find out those unique things about you. And then you need to live them out and shout them out. And you need people around you who will affirm those about you. And then you will feel home. The world will always tell you the answer is within you. But Jesus will always call you to find the answer in Him. And Holy Spirit is the reality and the possibility of the answer to be satisfied. Holy Spirit is water that satisfies the soul yearnings we all have. Discipleship, the calling for everyone who turns to trust Jesus, growing in Jesus, is growing in learning to walk by Holy Spirit. Learning to be filled by Holy Spirit. Learning to peel back those compulsions and addictions that plague us to ask, why, Lord? A song that we sang. Let the redeemed. You are my deliverer. You are my promised land. You are the freedom I'm living in. The freedom we need is oftentimes the freedom of enslavement to bringing those God desires that we have to worldly created things and saying, this will free me. This will fulfill me. Discipleship is learning to transplant those things that we have hoped in in the world that are almost always good things that we've given ultimate hunger for. And planting those in Jesus, entrusting them to Him, and inviting Holy Spirit to be the one who opens our eyes and teaches us to feed on the only one who can actually satisfy the thirst. God's Holy Spirit within us, but from outside of us, and pointing us to the Jesus who is outside of us, is the only way that we can live lives of fullness and presence that make us whole enough to be satisfied, fulfilled human beings. But did you notice what else Jesus said? He said, not only will you never be thirsty again, he said, this water will well up from within you and spill out of you. He's alluding to there the reality that when we go to him and we have our thirsts quenched, planted within us is a kind of spring that can pour out into the lives of others. That 
our life no longer becomes about obsession, trying to be fulfilled, and becomes we are fulfilled in Jesus. And so we go and we serve and we love other people. And we speak about this well of eternal life that we ourselves have found. And that they too can come and drink from. And so eternal life comes into you. And spills out into someone else. And through you, eternal life flows from them. And Holy Spirit is like bursting these wells in the lives of people. And that's what the church is. It's this place where when we come together, the water is spilling over. Friends, I want to invite us to believe this morning afresh. That because Jesus died for our sin and with our sin and was raised to new life, He left our sin buried in the grave. Whatever sin you are living with and coping with is dead. It does not hold power over you if you are in Jesus. But we're running back into that grave, into that tomb, to find it and say, this will satisfy me. Right? It's the whole Gollum effect, right? The ring. The precious thing to us that can't actually satisfy us and turns us into something hideous, turns us into something ugly. I heard a really wise old guy who'd been following Jesus for a long, long time say so much of life, listen, listen to this, so much of life, especially life following Jesus, is learning to let go of the things we believe we most need. It is learning to let go of the things we believe we most need need. And when we do, our hands are opened. Our thirst is given over to the one who can satisfy. So, the scriptures attest to, if you do not believe from Jesus here, God's sufficiency that everyone who puts their hope in God and entrusts their lives to Him, He will satisfy. We do not follow Jesus from drudgery. We follow Him from abundance and life. Psalm 16.11 says, You, God, reveal the path of life to me. In your presence is abundant joy. At your right hand are eternal pleasures. 1 Corinthians 12.13 says, For we were all baptized by one Spirit into one body, the church, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, all kinds of people, and we were all given one Spirit to drink. There it is again. Psalm 23 says, The Lord is my shepherd. I have what I need. Not because I have riches in abundance, but because I have a shepherd who is my Lord and gives me what I need. Here's the problem, okay? Here's what the scriptures say our problem is this morning. And this is where we're going to land the plane. Jeremiah 2, verses 11 through 13. This is Jeremiah, who is a prophet given by God to the people of Judah to call them back to the living God. Says this, Has a nation ever exchanged its gods? Yet my people have exchanged their glory for useless idols. 
and idols going to a created thing to satisfy that eternal hunger that we have for God alone. He's saying, you've exchanged me, you had me, and you ran to idols, to things that cannot satisfy. Be appalled at this heavens, be shocked and utterly desolated. This is the Lord's declaration. And here's, here's the prognosis. For my people have committed a double evil. They've abandoned me, the fountain of living water, and dug cisterns, think wells, for themselves. Cracked cisterns that can't hold water. There it is. Jesus opens the way, pours out his spirit, that anyone in the hearing of my voice, anyone in your life, even the people that you believe are the most distant and far from God, can have an encounter with the living God, Holy Spirit, break into their hearts, open up their eyes to see the glory of Jesus radiating all around us, and be fulfilled in Him. And so if you are not yet a follower of Jesus, if you're here, someone invited you, you're like, man, I'm curious, what could this church thing be about? This is what we're about is about believing Jesus is alive and believing that we were made by and for him and believing that as we open ourselves to him with his people, that he actually comes and meets us and he changes us and he satisfies us and he frees us from the worst things about us and he makes us into a people who have him at the center and no longer need to use each other to be okay or to feel satisfied. And if you are here, and this is your church family, and you are a follower of Jesus, the invitation is to say, where in my life am I longing right now? And what am I prone to run to? What's the broken cistern? What's the thing that will never satisfy me? And if we can get real honest and vulnerable, what maybe even is the addiction that I can't even curb anymore? Because it always starts with longing, and then we figure out a way to satisfy it, and then it becomes a need, and we find that we're less and less satisfied by it, and need more of it, and it controls more of our life, and then it turns into compulsion, and we can't control it, and it destroys parts of our lives. That is what the world, the flesh, and the evil one are intent on doing. And desire is the root. I come from a family on both sides of my family that have been decimated by addiction. Alcoholism, shopaholism, mountains of debt that are secret, sexual abuse that's the perversion of this desire and longing. And I can tell you, I was there, and I was on the path, and it was destroying me until I met Jesus in college as a 19-year-old man addicted to pornography. And as I peeled back the layers of what was going on and why I could not be free and what I needed from Jesus now that he had laid out all these promises that I had heard, I realized I had a caving ache a cavern in my being for intimacy 
And what I realized, and what people, wise counselors and people and spiritual directors have helped me see, community has helped me see, is that in my story, um, my parents did the best that they could with what they had. But neglect is a huge, huge area of brokenness in my story. Most of the interaction that I got to have with my, my parents was either negative punishment and discipline for not getting the grades that they thought I was capable of getting and should get, or positive affirmation because of my success, or sports. I loved sports so much because my parents would come, and I was good at sports. And it's not throwing parents under the bus or anything, but this has to be spoken out because you want to know what the most common way that mistreatment of children occurs of all the cases that get reported, 76% of maltreatment of children is neglect. Some of you have an ache in your soul because you never had a parent who spoke affection that was free over you. Desire that was placed on you because you were their child. You were a daughter. You were a son. And that's all that they needed. And so the invitation today might just simply be to hear and drink in Jesus that your Father in heaven sings over you his desire and affection. That he made you because he thought of you and thought it was a good idea to make you. Because he wanted you. And he sent Jesus to get you back. And maybe you can't stop looking at pornography because you're aching for intimacy. Or maybe you can't stop going shopping for something because you feel like material possessions can be the thing that gets you a little high and so that you can finally be satisfied and be okay. And then it wears off and you're like, oh, the new iPhone has titanium? Oh, I need that. It's like the worst marketing of an iPhone I've ever had. Titanium, I don't care. Do you see? Or maybe it's alcohol or drugs. I don't, I don't know, prescriptions. Just to numb away some of the pain. And in the middle of this room is Jesus inviting you to see that all of that brokenness all of the evil that breaks and crashes into your life when we give ourselves to these things can be healed and mended and transformed in Him. There are a couple of things that we can do really practically to learn to transplant that thirst up from the things of the world that only corrupt us, break us down, and turn us into the kind of people that are willing to break other people down to get what we want and can make us whole and free that we could pour out into the lives of others in love and service. The first thing is community. You will not experience this thirst-quenching reality of Jesus on your own. There is no Jesus in me discipleship. It is baptized into Jesus, into his body. Just as an eyeball rolling around cannot function, cannot get the nutrients that it needs, you are a part of the body. 
You were created. It's a part of your very essence. Welcome to the dysfunctional, beautiful family of the church. You were created for it, and if you try and just keep a toe in it and come on Sundays and never actually be discipled in the midst of it, you will never learn to drink from Jesus in the way that he invites you to. He wants the well that pours out from one another to satisfy you in many ways. And a part of that is opening up in this, in the way that our brokenness reveals our thirsts so that others can pray over us, so that others can speak words on behalf of Jesus to us that are true in him, that we didn't hear. So, I want to invite you into community. We do that with missional communities and with discipleship groups or a men's retreat. Great place to process this. Right, ladies? Wouldn't it be amazing if men had worked through a lot of this stuff to say, man, I've really learned to take on responsibility and that I'll be okay and that I could serve and love other people and not be like just crushed under the weight of fear and anxiety and whole and able to take... Ladies, I didn't hear. Yes? <laughs> we need some encouragement. Please. <laughs> Kate, thank you, Kate. I'm not kidding. Ladies, do you want men in the church that can have a stable sense of self in Jesus Christ such that they don't need to be controlled by the world or their desires and can learn to live sacrificially? Okay. So, when you go to sign up for the men's retreat, and you see that it's the USC-UCLA game that weekend. Here's your choice. I, I'm not even playing. It is a tangible choice that you can make. You could choose the USC game. No one's going to shame you for it, but you've invested somewhere. Okay? That's what it always feels like to follow Jesus. It's turning away from a good thing that the world wants to drown you in so that you lose the ultimate thing. And I'll say, if you don't come to the men's retreat and go to the USC game or do whatever else you had planned that weekend, that's okay. You need to find out how you are going to do this. Okay? Two spiritual disciplines that I want to give you in addition to community. The first one is fasting. Fasting denies us an essential need, food. We need food, eventually. So that we would see just how controlled by our cravings we are. It is so humbling when you get really angry at people around you when you're hungry and fasting to realize all of the ways that your desires are interconnected and the ways that you become really feeble and needy and need more of Jesus in the midst of your hunger. And also, how little we long for Jesus day to day. Fasting denies ourselves of something in order to focus on the more important desire, which is thirst in Jesus, right? The second spiritual discipline I want to give you, um, FYI, that's why we do First Tuesday fasts as a church, all together. And we break that fast in our missional communities together on a Tuesday night. It's great. Food never tasted so good. Um, second discipline is simplicity. Simplicity is learning to deny ourselves of a handful of good things in order to prioritize what 
uh, in order to simplify, that's where the name comes from, in order to simplify where we are finding our satisfaction from. So, for me, I am a sucker for a deal. I love finding something that was a steal and either reselling it or living a certain kind of life at a certain quality of nice thing that I thought would be a great deal to get. Simplicity is saying, oh man, I see that and I want it. But I'm okay without it. I'm just not going to do it. Some of you are looking at me like, that sounds ridiculous. It sounds unpowerful. But I will tell you what, simplicity is us taking all the ways we spread our lives thin with good things and putting more of our chips with Jesus and realizing that his word is true. And so what can you just deny yourself this week? Maybe for you it's shopping. Maybe it's, I don't know, dessert, luxury, buy the cheaper thing, be a little inconvenienced, don't buy fast pass when you go to Disney so you can wait in line and just be like, all right, Lord, you're enough.